This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Pete Hegseth's in studio. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you recognize him from Fox and Friends and everywhere else on the channel. Uh, Pete Hegseth's here. And the bottom of the hour, Julie Banderas. So very intramural Fox-like hour, uh, and we appreciate you being here. We got good news yesterday. The best, uh, the best radio magazine in the world, Talkers Magazine, ranked us the fourth biggest show in the country. Sean's number, Sean Hannity, number one. Uh, Dave Ramsey, number two. And then there's Mark Levin, and then there's us. And that's because of you guys. Uh, So we have a lot to get to today. I'll be squeezing in your calls. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Every single Border Patrol agent is extremely frustrated and upset about what's going on on the border. It is, in fact, by design. They are doing this on purpose. This administration has some very intelligent individuals at DHS, and they know what's happening. Um, They just don't have the will to push back against this White House. Which is the scariest scenario yet. They're happy about it. That's Brandon Judd. Biden's self-inflicted border crisis has states and some Dems uniting against their flat-out betrayal of this nation by not securing or even planning to properly secure our border. Signs the Texas Governor Abbott's desperate measures are actually working. Number two. It's a significant symbology here. This uh, flagship in the Black Sea, and now it's taken down. It looks like the Ukrainians did it. And it's a huge victory for Ukrainian. I mean, military, it's not decisive, but nonetheless, a significant symbol to the Ukrainians. Yep, Russia suffers a brutal blow, losing a warship at the hands of the Ukrainians and their Neptune rockets as they brace for, or missile, I should say, brace for an eastern assault while desperately trying to hold on to Mariupol, the latest on the war and the warnings Moscow has given us. Number one. Fear not, right-wingers. Another bro-fascist is waiting in the wings to defend your right to spew bile online. There's also a lot of folks out there that say, you know, it's troubling enough that private companies control these key communication platforms around the world. Maybe it's even worse to have the world's richest person trying to buy one of them and take it private. Brian Stelter, I can't get enough of him. Musk must find a way, as in Elon Musk, find a way to buy Twitter. His first and final offer causing panic, invoking uh, liberal newsrooms to lose their minds. How it's all playing out and what obstacles remain for the world's richest man. Pete Hegseth, it's good to talk to you again. It's been five minutes. Uh, it has been five <laughs> minutes. Three hours, not enough. Great to be here with you. Right. So what is else, uh, before we get into this, what else is on your schedule, Take Because you got the weekend show going from 6 to 10 Eastern Time, Saturday and Sunday. That's it. Don't you have Dan Bongino? You oh, I, this weekend, I was bumped, actually. Really? Yeah, I don't blame Dan. I love Dan. But? But I didn't fit into the hour. Wow. So I got a weekend off. But that's it's a good, good weekend to have. Uh, that's good. Um, I should have alerted One Nation. Because One Nation would take you. <laughs> we are your backup show. 
it's you're at never, eight o'clock. You're never my backup, Brian. But, you're my number one. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, so Pete, let's talk about Elon Musk. And I wanted to play the left going losing their minds. Say mm-hmm. Fox and Friends didn't think that was a big deal. I, I was stunned by what I heard was happening. And then when you see the newsrooms go crazy about the prospect of the most R. Thomas Edison of this generation of uh, getting involved in this, R. Da Vinci of this generation getting involved in Twitter. What is the threat? I, I don't see it. The threat is the uh, eradication of their safe space. I mean, they were happy to play in Dorsey's pay plan. He's a rich guy running Twitter. The, the founder. The founder. But they knew the rules of the road were slanted in their favor. They knew that disinformation or misinformation was a tool they could wield against political opponents. And the reason I say that is because any pretense that the media, the so-called mainstream media, is anything other than in the tank for the Democrat Party is gone. These are all lefties who come from leftist journalism schools who know each other in D.C. and New York and go to the same country clubs and, and, and uh, their kids go to the same schools. They feel comfortable inside that space. If you open up Twitter to a real conversation and they're confronted by the best conservative or even just free-thinking views and they're not censored – they lose, and it bursts their bubble. So I, I think – and you also have younger kids at Twitter and elsewhere who have been grown up believing that speech can be violent. They're going to get fired. And They're going to get fired if Musk gets Musk this. would have to do that. Take it private, clean house. You'd have to change the whole culture at Twitter. So what I think you, you and I agree on is that this isn't just a rich guy getting what he deems a valuable property that's underperforming. He – you believe that if Twitter can be balanced – so you get the Ted Cruz saying things about January 6th that uh, maybe Liz Cheney disagrees with, and he doesn't get his account suspended. Mm-hmm. You know, And you have somebody come away left and talk about how Donald Trump is the worst person on the planet. Uh, he does not get his account uh, suspended. We just want a arena. And if you start balancing like Twitter was, so to speak, you thought in 2016, in 2014, it was kind of balanced, right? A little bit. You never really heard that much about shadow banning until Trump won. Until, absolutely. And he was on Twitter tweeting what he wanted as the president of the United States as a representation of real free speech. As Trump said, who liked who loved the First Amendment more than me, as he said. But it descended into a censorship machine. And I had written off the idea that something like a Twitter could be redeemed. I was a believer that alternate ecosystems were probably the only right. opportunity for conservatives and patriots. I did not have Elon Musk saves the day on my bingo card a week ago yeah. uh, because it shouldn't take a billionaire to do this. But if you can reestablish public squares, he said it. Elon Musk said it. Uh, on the TED Talk yesterday, it's being allowed to disagree. Listen to content you disagree with on a regular basis is the threshold as to whether or not you are truly tolerant of dissent and free speech. He's so, an absolutist, and that's a good thing. So let's go to let's listen to him. Cut three. Well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, so. Uh, it, it, it's just really important that people have the, both the, uh, the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. And this is more that. of what, yeah, what you just said. Cut five. If in doubt, uh, let, let, let the speech, let, let it exist. Uh, it would have, you know, if, if it's a, you know, a, a gray area, I would say let, let, the, let the tweet exist. 
And a good sign as to whether there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like? <laughs> and if that is the case, then we have free speech. And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning, uh, free speech situation. Amen. I don't think this is a business decision for him. I think this is someone who said in the past, I want to do good in this world. I don't know what his political leanings are completely, probably more libertarian than anything else. But he, he wants he understands that free people can't stay free if we if we can't keep the very first of our amendments. Right. Uh, and a commitment to that would be massive. I, listen, I know a lot of your listeners probably have already written off Twitter. Eighty uh, percent of the content comes from 10 percent of the blue check marks. I left Twitter. I mean, I was I was blocked, banned and then allowed back on. And then when when Trump was kicked off, I said enough with it. I don't need to I don't need to peck for for scraps uh, on a slanted playing field. Right. But if they bring it back and it's a real conversation, then let's have at it. Right. And I did speak to Devin Nunes over the last couple of days and Truth Social's on track. Yep. They're, they're slowly going. That's Donald Trump. That's another interesting dynamic, too. I mean, yeah. Truth Social could be a competitor. We'll see. Right. Uh because if the president of the United States starts running again, you do want to know what the leading candidate for the nomination is, just like you would look for Bernie Sanders' comments for a talking point. Okay, what did Bernie Sanders say? It doesn't mean I agree. So you'll have to seek out. Yeah. So why would Trump want to go back to Twitter? But as a business decision, that's what he's also talking about. Why did I lose? Why couldn't we be inclusive of the other 45% of the country that's Republican that is deciding to go elsewhere or not use their account? It's not a good business decision to leave them out. But that's the other thing, which uh, I think is important. So remember I talked on television about the nuance. Yes. So in 2018. And I said you should talk about it on radio. Right. Uh, Yes, you did. Perfect uh, (laughs) promo. So remember he smoked pot on on, uh, Joe Rogan's show. And then he had a few tweets that affected stock prices. I'm not smart enough to remember what the, or I don't have a good enough memory to remember what it was, but also how it affected the SEC. So they do a full-blown investigation. He agrees with the SEC. They agree to let him step down as Tesla CEO. And then they say he's going to agree to have some of his tweets edited. So he said, never happy with that. He said it was coerced by the SEC, who threatened to destroy his company. And he said, I have a choice to have one of my kids killed or agree to this deal. That's how he looked at Tesla. Hmm. So he agreed to this deal. And he still he was bitter uh, at the TED talk yesterday. And now if you own Twitter, you're really going to edit my own tweets. So I think on some level he is, he is, he so is there's a going back a... to the SEC and challenging to stop this deal. What about when I am the one that prints the newspaper? You're going to I'm going to tell me to edit me. That's a fact. I mean, look at listen. The, and the irony of this is that the Washington Post is grousing about rich people owning Twitter when Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Bezos owns the Washington Post. There might be that personal angle to it, Brian. That's an interesting one. I mean, uh, controlling the very organ that potentially tried to destroy you is wouldn't be the first time in human history that somebody rich did that. So you guys have been playing on the weekends, Bill Maher, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So he was on with Joe Rogan. Yep. He was on with Adam Carolla. And they don't agree on anything, but they agree that uh, Democrats are absolutely crazy. This, this whole trans movement, the whole do we don't want parents in control of an education. He doesn't even have kids. And he said, what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Here, here's what he said about Elon Musk. Cut 10. We live in a different age where Twitter is the market, the public square now. If you deny someone's right to speak on Twitter, you're basically saying you don't have free speech rights. Twitter also said you couldn't. They banned you talking about whether co- coronavirus came from a lab 
Right. And it may well have. And even the Biden administration admits that now. We don't know where coronavirus came from, but there's no reason to think it couldn't have emerged from a lab. They had a lab in Wuhan that was studying coronavirus. Right. No, no. And you couldn't even discuss this. No, no, I think, I mean, that's outrageous. Well, I, think, I think that's what Elon Musk wants to fix at Twitter. It's, it's only, when have I ever played cuts from Bill Maher? I've played him all the time. I know. We now. play him almost yeah, every yeah, weekend. Yeah. It's amazing because he's a liberal who isn't woke, who believes in basic common sense and decency and has the willingness to point out lunacy across right. the aisle. And that's precisely what he has seen. That's what they've walked into. And it's free speech that existed outside of Twitter that brought the world back to the fact that Hunter Biden's laptop is real. Oh, maybe it did originate in the lab. But if we lived in a world where Twitter only, Facebook only controlled it, that's the type of that that's Russia. That's what Vladimir Putin's able to do right now with his own people as he wages war and increases his own popularity domestically by spinning what's happening elsewhere. Without free speech, those in charge will lie to us and tell us it's not a lie with their own rationalization. And and it's only Shows like this one and Fox News and a few others that are willing to cut against that grain. If Twitter was a part of that conversation, it's it. But it, the left freaks because that's how they control everything. These that's this is the elites playing. Field. Well, you know, the first thing they wanted to do is control talk radio. Remember, Barack Obama took target of Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. It, and was, was With the fairness about? doctrine. Yeah. Well, they, but the first thing he said when he wins the election is uh, this is the party of Rush Limbaugh. And everyone thought, really, you just beat John McCain. He's not Rush Limbaugh. And he was taking. Target practice at talk radio. Then they saw what's happening with social media and how Donald Trump used it to win and was able to micro target and find out where his audience is and get these big crowds, whether he was at a, an air course uh, in the middle of a field or in an uh, airplane hangar. He was able to do this. And they go, OK, we're embarrassed. I saw Neil Ferguson's the first one to tell me this. He says, I, I work in Silicon Valley. They are embarrassed mm-hmm. and humiliated about how Donald Trump used their uh, their platforms to win. And they will get their revenge. He said that to me in 2017. Fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's, what, did, what did Mark Zuckerberg do? Yeah. Poured hundreds of millions of dollars into, into certain markets. Into certain markets to facilitate COVID voting, which turned into basic private facilitation of how elections were run in key areas of key states. Right. Uh, Pete Hegseth is going to stick around one more segment. Is that is that right, Pete? Is that, what do we get him to agree to? Whatever you want, I work for you, Brian. Well, you know, you, I gave him some money on the side. So and that means then, two then he segments. Takes, and he says, yeah, no problem, and right. it'll act like it's his idea. But unlike Black Lives Matter, you will declare that money, right? <laughs> and you will, for the IRS. On my personal 990, yes. Thank you. Done. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A silent partner in Putin's aggression, Xi Jinping's China is our greatest challenge. In many ways, the most profound test that CIA has ever faced. The People's Republic of China is a formidable competitor. 
lacking in neither ambition nor capability. It seeks to overtake us in literally every domain, from economic strength to military power and from space to cyberspace. So how do we compete with that? That is the CIA director, William Burns, Pete Hegseth here uh, for one more segment, getting set to host Fox and Friends weekend from 6 to 10. Pete, do you agree with that? I do. And how do we compete with it? By not by doing what we've been doing so far, which is, of course, in Afghanistan. Second of all, our defense budget, which doesn't truly reflect the ability to project power, especially with our Navy, which is going to shrink in the number of ships, which is nuts, which is nuts. And then and then the complete if our policy is strategic ambiguity in Taiwan, uh, look at what strategic ambiguity has looked like. In Ukraine. Well, you heard what General Keene said today. It's a huge mistake. We should learn from that. That was probably the most hawkish. I mean, General Keene's generally a hawkish guy, but that was a very full-throated, you know, send American troops to Taiwan. um, And train the Taiwanese to work our stuff. That's a huge takeaway from Ukraine, though. The training of U.S. troops in the years leading up to this invasion has been— instrumental, you could argue decisive, because you can't just give weapons to people and hope they employ them correctly, especially if you don't have people on the ground. Maybe our CIA does. But if you train them and then they learn how to move together as a unit and then you give them the weapons, they're a lot more effective. If we're not doing that, we need to do it on steroids with the Taiwanese right now. Otherwise, forget about it. See, I agree with you. You know, Afghanistan to me, uh, for a while, we don't need to be there. We don't need to be to occupy. But holding on to Bagram and the rare earth and doing those things and having influence in an area, which is a just a haven for terrorists. And now they're back. ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They're even threatening the Taliban. So congratulations. We know that's another conversation. But if we could temporarily focus here in Russia for the next year, you realize NATO now is being convinced, not through us, not through being berated, to invest in their military. They're going to buy patriots from us from now on. We're going to add Sweden and uh, Finland to that area. They're going to book to build up their defense and get out of that Soviet era stuff, buying it from us, whether it's a payment plan. They have money. And Good. then we, we train. You watch your own back. We're there to back you up. Then we can pivot holistically. And the relationships, what we have, what China doesn't have, is relationships, right? Mm-hmm. We're not looking to rape every land of all their natural resources and get them in possible um, situations, which is essentially extortion. That's what the Belt and Road Program is. There you We're have different. it. Uh, I, the, we could call it the kill me doctrine. I mean, you're exactly right. This is a wake-up call for Europe they to defend it. their own backyard. Get off their oil and gas. They've been on our backs Absolutely. to defend them. Unappreciative. Totally unappreciative. Trump tried to tell them it took an actual threat for them to wake up. If they do wake up, fund their militaries, buy those missile systems, and basically hold the eastern flank of Russia, then we can focus where we need to and focus. Continue and to train them. Focus. You could put a training mission there, easy. Absolutely, because China's a showdown. Right, it's uh, a showdown, and it is. And and the thing is, then they'll be they'll see the loyalty, uh, and we're doing. And then we get back to the Middle East and get that in order the way Trump left it. Uh, I would like to do that just so we make sure that China doesn't take advantage of those relationships. we got to push against them everywhere. That's what I'm talking about. The Kill Me Doctrine. He knows we're coming against the break. He does not agree with me, <laughs> but he knows we're running out of time. Thanks, Pete. You got it. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. 
complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fear not, right-wingers. Another bro-fascist is waiting in the wings to defend your right to spew bile online. You know, when talking about this, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. Oh, Elon wants, must want, wants to yeah, buy it. But sure. there are massive life and globe-altering consequences for just letting people mm-hmm. run wild on the thing. There's also a lot of folks out there that say, you know, it's troubling enough that private companies control these key communication platforms around the world. Maybe it's even worse to have the world's richest person trying to buy one of them and take it private. That is some of the outrage from the other networks about the prospect of Elon Musk uh, buying Twitter. So uh, joining me right now in studio, because I recognize her from television, Julie Banderas, (laughs) Fox News anchor, who will be hosting today, right? Yes. You're you're hosting the Faulkner Focus today. Yes. Yes, you are. Well said, Brian. Thank you. (laughs) I said it very carefully. But but I, I'm I'm astounded by a story. Once in a while, stories pop up, and you know about horrible stories. Right. We never expected the subway shooter. Uh, no. We knew Ukraine was coming. But this story, I go wait a second. Last week, he's thinking about buying. He becomes a majority shareholder. I'm right. going to be on the board. Okay. What happened over the weekend? I'm off. I don't want to be on the board. But wait a second. The next day, yesterday, I'm going to buy the whole thing. Oh and then the freak out happens. Yeah. I mean, first what, of all, why the freak out? Well, I think that the the liberal social media users are, are shaking in their boots because they see um, Twitter as a place to silence conservatives. I mean, there are so many conservatives that are blocked for saying absolutely ridiculous things. Uh, people are, are blocked on Facebook for complaining about not being able to pay their college bills. These are veterans, which you've right. read about. Right. And so they, of course, don't want and somebody have no, that's going to give them a voice. And you're hostage to them because there's only one there's only one way to get in touch with those. Those people on Facebook. Right. One way to get in touch with those people on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. So, and uh, I, I, it'll be interesting, though, to see how the narrative switches on Twitter. I mean, I'm excited about it. I think it's awesome. So a couple of things. I am not uh, somebody that that does a lot of hostile takeovers, mm. right, uh, in my life or in business. Like, the yeah. people don't say, I, wanna, I want somebody to buy Price Waterhouse against their will. Right. They don't go, Brian, kill me. Do you have a moment? Right. But <laughs> but I'm, I'm fascinated to see that Elon Musk he has put it out there at $54 plus a share, right? Mm-hmm. So at $54 a share, everybody makes money. So if they don't want to do it, they do a poison pill, which they're going to dilute the amount of, of value in each share. Okay, I understand that. So what is Musk's plan B? He says, do you have a plan B? The answer is yes. Now, what could it be? Smarter than me. But this is where the word is that his plan B would be to take it to the shareholders and have them vote, and have them vote on who, whether he should ownership or not. He's convinced that if the shareholders can cash in, that aren't as vested as these right. other ideologues in the, on the West Coast, he thinks he'll get it that way. Isn't it amazing when you have that much money that you can have a plan B when it comes to just taking over? Well, yeah, Twitter? I mean, I mean, it's amazing. I, I mean, if I, if, well, I mean, well, if you were in his shoes and you had his kind of money, is this the kind of investment that you want to? Well, Invest in? My, well, if my theory is correct, it makes sense. Yeah. When Starlink, when he put Starlink in action, allowed the Ukrainians to communicate, and he right. saw it, it actually changed the direction of a war. Yeah. He said, well, how else can I help the country? 
And what he said in the TED Talk kind of backs up my theory in that how I could open up free speech and social media for everybody and yeah. help us helps end division by letting people talk again. I could buy that. I love and, it. And then he looks at Twitter and says it's a hollow giant mm-hmm. because no one tweets anymore. The Republicans, the ones that use the conservatives, uh, they don't do any. They're not doing it. Then he looked at the top users. They weren't tweeting. Barack Obama, uh, uh, Taylor Swift. Who else do they have uh, that is uh, really popular? Justin Bieber. He said the people that are the most popular are not even using it. The platform's no. totally unutilized. He said, I'm out. I have no faith in the courage management. So unless I'm the management, I'm out. They so, would be stupid to let him walk away. He, I, I believe that he they don't, would be— They don't want any part of it. They just, I know, but it doesn't make don't... sense. I mean, well, yes, of course, because they don't want free speech. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, Twitter and Facebook, these two major social media giants, don't allow for the other side. So they want to control the narrative. Uh, I would I would hope and, you know, I would love to see him take over. Right. I would also like him to add an edit button to Twitter. What that would, would that be do? something. What would that do? It would just correct a lot of my— typos right you know so another certain so taking really it just down about me instead of taking it down yes instead you just, of just want to correct delete. one letter exactly right Perfect. how often do you look because it happens to me all the time do you look at your twitter and it's up there for about a few hours you know i'm missing a word no i'm completely says, miss- completely yeah, and I'm, then people of course have to retweet and then correct you as if i'm an idiot and i don't understand right that wood is not spelled w-o-l-d right but yeah a lot uh-huh. of times uh, I find my the spell check has turned against me in life oh it really has right no oh my god my daughter let me just say, texted my husband, not her, my other daughter. She doesn't know the story. My daughter's in the studio, by the way. And she um, had COVID last week. So she's locked in her bedroom all week long. And so she's texting my husband saying, I really want to hug you. And she dictated it. Autocorrect turned that hug word to the F word, to her father. She's nine. I just want to. I just want to talk about autocorrect and wow. what the heck is wrong with Apple? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Predictive text. I want text, to hug you to her father. Yeah, predictive text is not is also not fun. No. Yeah, you don't know me. No. Please stop pretending as if you do. Yeah. So some of the people that are outraged. This guy Max Boot used to be a conservative uh, military expert. Now he's this left wing commentator on the Washington Post. Says I am frightened. By the impact of society and politics, if Musk acquires Twitter, he seems to believe that on social media, anything goes. For democracy to survive, we need more content moderation. How weird is that? We need more content moderation, so less free speech. Yes, and more content. First of all, content moderation isn't the whole point for people to go on Twitter and read about. That's where I get a lot of my news, sadly, (laughs) because, you know. You still do? I really do. But it's because I follow, you know, all these different news organizations, you know, newspapers. And, and news channels and so forth. So I do get a lot of my news there. But as far as opinion, people are have every right to their opinion. I can't understand why free speech is now therefore cut off on social media. How is it any different than free speech in real life? Well, because people can hide behind their stupid keyboards and say stupid stuff and moderate free speech because they're cowards and they don't show their face because they're on the Internet. All right. So uh, real quick, uh, because I know you got to go because yeah. you got to prepare for your show. Yeah. So today at 11. Yeah. So what's it called? Wagner Focus. Oh, right. Yep. That's Thank it. You. That's the show, Brian. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. The name scares me. I know. Uh, but Harris, <laughs> you should you should have asked a simulcast. Harris had a simulcast, so you would do our mic show at the same time. Oh, we no share way. audiences. Yeah. What? I don't know how much power do you have. Uh, not a lot, but oh. can you Next maybe time. make a phone call? Right. Okay. No one cares okay. about my phone calls. <laughs> Plus, I don't know have anybody's number. Do you? No. Either. <laughs> I could not call most of my family. If should <laughs> should everything go down, and I go to a rotary phone. Sorry. Got nothing. Oh, my God. Wait. I would rotary call the phone. Who the heck has a rotary? Do you, have, do you own a rotary I phone? I had one. 
Still? My youth? No. How recent? My youth of, I would think I haven't had, I haven't used a rotary phone, I guess, since the 80s. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm not that crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm also not nostalgic. <laughs> So, you know, I don't, I know, but I don't really want a cool. turntable. No, my mom actually has one still in her house. Like, the, Are we talking the dial sure. or the push? Oh, yeah. No, we have that in our house. The, they is don't it use functional? It. It, I believe if you hooked it up, it would be, but I'm not really sure it would register you know, that, numbers They anymore. also used to give the numbers as letters. Like, yes. ally one. Yes, that is so confusing. Oh, and then you'd ridiculous. have to like look through every single letter. Yes. Half so, our viewing audience has no idea what we're talking about. Right. But. You know what? But I think we worry too much about our audience. I think I we should worry about what we screw care the about. audience. I love rotary phones. I wouldn't phones. say screw the audience. Oh, no? That okay. would be bad. Okay, sorry. Don't say screw the audience. <laughs> that might work on the Faulkner focus, <laughs> but it doesn't work on the Brian Kilmeade show. Okay. Without an audience, we're in trouble. <laughs> so uh, I looked at. I uh, just want to talk politics if I can, real okay. quick. Uh, Joe Biden's approval rating is at 33%. Oh, my gosh. He lost with Hispanics probably more than anything else. It's in the 30s. Man, he used to that he used to be in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Yeah. Remember that. And that's one of the big changes. My humble opinion, the reason why Cesar Chavez is bust is in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. They knew the first thing they had to do is get in there and win over Hispanics. Yeah. They thought by loosening up on the border it would. Yeah. It's done the opposite. Yeah. So he's got 33% approval rating. In terms of the economy, it's about the same thing. He had somewhat high on COVID. It's just around 50%. Everything else is uh, is upside down. Yeah. Here is Senator John Kennedy because they also have blown up the parent vote about this craziness. They also – people who have female athletes in their family might not want them competing against mm-hmm. uh, men that are transitioning yeah. Yeah. Um, to something else. Here's John Kennedy, cut 33, Senator John Kennedy. I wouldn't be surprised if the White House – tried to uh, claim tomorrow that inflation originated in a bat. But the truth is that President (laughs) Biden has no one else to plausibly blame but himself. And all the American people know, well, let me put it another way. When a honey bun costs 20 bucks and you're homeless on the beach eating seaweed, most Americans are going to blame President Biden as they should. Right. And he's getting a lot of the blame. It's, you know, wow. he, inflation might, might have come. Supply chain might have been a hurdle. Nobody thinks he's attacking you correctly. No, I personally love his sound bites. Like, Senator you could James. literally just pick any of his sound bites, and they're amazing. A honey bun. When's the last time you bought a honey bun? But I, I have to say, it's not only the Hispanic demographic. I mean, obviously, the nation, the, 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 the crisis on the border, and they're finally calling it a crisis, which is nice for, to see them step up. Take after. their time. Yeah, no, they didn't want to call it a crisis at first. Now they're like, oh, it's a crisis. But yet they don't want to answer the question whether Biden's ever going to visit the border. Uh, Right. I mean, Kamala didn't really. And now Biden isn't so much either. But it's not just the Hispanic community. It's also the African-American community that have turned their backs on Democrats. And it's because they don't keep their promises. They still have the majority. They're still in the 60s. But they they needed 80s. Yes. But they I mean, it has come down from the election. You know, a lot of African-Americans who voted for Biden Biden are having uh, buyer's remorse. I mean, because he's not keeping up the promises that he promised. But, Julie, here's the thing. Uh, In a way, I'm kind of relieved he didn't. Because if he kept the promises that he promised uh, for the uh, left wing of his party, we would have had Build Back Better. And Build Back Better was going to be – you think it's hard to overcome the $1.9 trillion rescue plan? Yeah. We never, we never would have gotten close no. to paying off even an, a, a yearly, being able to, uh, to match – what our obligations were. Right. Well, I mean, as if inflation is not bad enough, imagine adding that to the tab. Absolutely. I mean, I, we do not have an endless bank account. Although, gonna, maybe we do. Right. <laughs> the way that they're spending well, When we in print Washington. the money, as long as we stay on the dollar. Exactly. And, yeah. and when's the last time you actually had a dollar? Between no. direct deposit, can you go weeks without touching money? I mean, yeah. If, if you've got your Apple, do you use, um, what is it called? Venmo? No, when you, like, do this. 
Like I can pay you right now. Apple Just, Pay. Yeah, Apple Pay. Thank yeah, you. That's, that's my name. I'm sorry. Right. I forgot what it's no, called. it's okay. Fine. Not very Apple friendly. No, the thing is, you're focusing more on your show. Mm. No, I actually wasn't even thinking about it. What show? Faulkner Focus. Okay. Yep. I got to do that right. at eleven so, o'clock. So, yeah, I got to go. So you do have to go. But my my exit question to you is, mm-hmm. who's on? And why should we watch? Oh, God. Really? You're going to put me on the spot like well, that? Well, no, no. I want to give you a chance to promo. Oh, no. I appreciate Julie that. Julie is here. Okay, fine. Yep. Hi, everyone. All right. So uh, we're going to be talking to Mark Thiessen about uh, liberals freaking out about Elon and Twitter because we love that story. Um, and then we're also going to be talking to Trey Yingst. He's going to give us the very latest on Russians taking hits um, and ramping up eastern attacks. So, of course, right. we're going to continue our Ukrainian coverage. We have much more. Also, Biden's border crisis and the latest and Title 42 concerns. Title 42. I mean, why would you get rid of Title 42? Title 42, you take that away. COVID numbers are rising in this country, right? You see what's happening in China, in Shanghai. They've been on a seven-plus day lockdown. Do you want that here in the United States? Sure, come on over our border and bring COVID with you. Right. Oh, and by the way, we're going to bus you all over the country. You want a treat, free trip to Miami? Come on over for free. I mean, that's the incentive. Good, good promo. You're, with with from, COVID. You were reluctant. Do I to, sound like a campaign ad for Biden? A little bit. No, but you oh, okay. yeah, you sounds like somebody he won't use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, I, for someone who didn't want a promo, you yeah. certainly dug into it. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you should be proud of it. I you. should go into media relations. Do you go out to Outnumber 2 like Harris would? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I'm doing Outnumbered. All right. It's a I lot wish of, we could simulcast. Can we try to do that next on time? On Outnumbered? Uh, oh, just well, on when, either. When I do the Faulkner Focus. Yes, when the Faulkner Focus. Yes. I want to out. I want to do that. Well, all you have to do is tell your people. Oh, they no. know our numbers. Next time, you need to be the outnumbered guy on the show. Well, I was Monday because you already work six hours. So, well, then we'll make it seven. Is that okay? Right. All right. What time do you get done with the show? Uh, I'm done here at noon. Oh, okay. But then I have that extra hour. So, so that would I, give you seven. So hour I have day. a few minutes to get downstairs and be the man. Oh, perfect. Okay, I'll right. I'll, I'll line that up. I'll talk to my people. All right, you can talk to your people. Yeah. All right, you don't have people. I'm going to text you and have you to... email the producer. That'll be fine. <laughs> That's what it sounds okay, like. Great. Uh, Julie Banderas, thanks so much. All right. All right. Thanks, Brian. Love you. Right. Hey, uh, back uh, back in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I thought Black Lives Matter. Where are all those who stated Black Lives Matter? When are we going to start asking these serious questions? If Black Lives Matter, then the thousands of people I saw on the street when Floyd was murdered should be on the street right now stating that the lives of these black children that are dying every night matters. We can't be hypocrites. Uh, that is Eric Adams, the mayor, still on quarantine, I guess. Uh, busy week, subway shooter, we got it. Number two with him just coming out to on Black Lives Matter. He said he was in the Bronx in Brooklyn, uh, on the phone with his commanders, trying to get a hold of what was going on with all the shooting. He said all these guys are getting shot uh, in the middle of the night. Kids are getting shot and killed. All black on black crime. And he's a black mayor, and he's saying, where's Black Lives Matter? I'm serious. People would really want to help uh, in all communities. 
But when you find them buying mansions, disappearing, hating the family, hating the country, not being active, no one, no one wants to file, file a tax form with the IRS. And when you ask them, they say they're triggered. And then you see all these rundown areas of New York urban environments where a Boys and Girls Club could be built. Maybe a mentor program could be flooded in and fully financed. People, people teachers, instead of maybe tutoring, show up and provide extra help, state-provided, BLM-provided, to get them the help they're maybe not getting at home. Instead, you know, you hear crickets. I also was encouraged that mayor, the mayor is reinstating and expanding the talented and gifted program. I would not have qualified for that. But in New York City, one of the things to keep the rich and famous and powerful here is their kids are oftentimes very talented and gifted. And they got these great schools, and they'll say, you know, I'll put up with the potential crime and the traffic, and I can't have a car, and I pay a ton for parking because my kid goes to an elite school. And Mayor de Blasio, the biggest loser ever, decides that that was uh, excusatory. So, therefore, he's starting to end it. Or expanded to the point where gifted and talented are not without the gifted and talented. The whole point was to isolate the greatness, try to get the most in child, most out of them and challenge them, and then see where they can go from there. And that's an attraction to keep people in New York City. And he says, I'll keep it. I'm going to expand it. The other thing I wanted to bring up is Charlie Rose, I guess, uncanceled himself. He got fired from CBS in disgrace. I'm not sure what it was, something about dropping his pants. Usually not a good thing um, if you're, unless you're alone. So he went and interviewed Warren Buffett. So I want to hear what Warren Buffett has to say, number one, and uh, where was Charlie Rose been? Here is uh, Warren Buffett talking about how much he loves the country. Cut 36. And when you say you've been the luckiest guy, I assume that means a um, community and family. But it also means, in your case, as you have said often, the country that you live in. Oh, totally. Charlie, if I'd been born... Any place but the United States, my life would have been totally different. And incidentally, I, you know, it helped to have a parent. I had to. But the United States is essential. It, it, it's given me everything. A guy modest, uh, makes a modest, uh, has, lives in a modest home considering, I think he's one of the richest men and people in the world. He actually helped bail out the federal government in 2008. Uh, so Warren Buffett speaking again, and I guess, how do you uncancel yourself? I didn't know you could do that. Is Matt Lauer next? And I'm not saying I'm against it. Uh, I do think, you know, people can get restarts in life. It's not up to you or I to decide. I believe that if someone should work again, it's up to the employer. And I don't know where Charlie Rose is airing this interview, but maybe it's the first of an uncanceled, canceled, no longer canceled person. I can't even follow that. Don't forget to listen to One Nation Saturday night, 8 o'clock, repeated at 11. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I uh, appreciate you being here. We're coming to you from 48th and 6th. Yep, downtown, midtown, New York City. Heard around the country, heard around the world, hopefully in the Ukraine. Uh, Geraldo standing by to join us. And Dr. Oz, my first interview with Dr. Oz. I haven't seen him. I'm sure he was on with Sean, although I haven't seen him since Donald Trump gave his endorsement at a big rally. And it kind of divided the Trump world because Hope Hicks, a, a key aide for President Trump, does everything for uh, with him. And then you have other people like Kellyanne Conway working with Dave McCormick. And then people like Stephen Miller working with Dave McCormick. But Dr. Oz and, and the president, uh, former president, have been great friends. He's also tight with Melania. He's great friends of this show. I think he's uh, uh, he's great, so talented and smart. Um, but we'll see. Uh, right now, McCormick's up a little bit in the polls. But it's still early. And I haven't seen a poll since Trump got his endorsement. So before we get to Geraldo, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Every single Border Patrol agent is extremely frustrated and upset about what's going on on the border. It is, in fact, by design. They are doing this on purpose. This administration has some very intelligent individuals at DHS, and they know what's happening. Um, They just don't have the will to push back against this White House. Which is scary. Uh, Their bad policy is a policy. Biden's self-inflicted border crisis has states and some Dems uniting against the flat-out betrayal of his nation by not securing or even planning to properly secure the border. You heard, Brandon Judd, signs that Texas's governor's Abbott's desperate measures might be working. Number two. It's a significant symbology here, this uh, flagship in the Black Sea, and now it's taken down. It looks like the Ukrainians did it, and it's a huge victory for Ukrainian. I mean, military is not decisive, but nonetheless, a significant symbol to the Ukrainians. Uh, yes, uh, General Keene with me on Fox & Friends today. Russia suffers a brutal blow, losing a warship at the hands of the Ukrainians as they brace for an eastern assault while desperately trying to hold on to Mariupol, the latest on the war. And the warnings Moscow has given us and the world. Number one. Fear not, right-wingers. Another bro-fascist is waiting in the wings to defend your right to spew bile online. There's also a lot of folks out there that say, you know, it's troubling enough that private companies control these key communication platforms around the world. Maybe it's even worse to have the world's richest person trying to buy one of them and take it private. Right. We don't want a rich person buying a media outlet like Jeff Bezos at Washington Post. That'll never happen. Musk must find a way. As in Elon. A way to buy Twitter, the first and final offer causing a giant, gigantic panic in a lot of liberal newsrooms. How it's all playing out and what obstacles remain for the world's richest man. Another man who's rich with uh, good thoughts and a lot of money, uh, Geraldo Rivera. Now in Ohio, not here, Fox News contributor, co-host of The Five. Geraldo, welcome back. Hey, Brian, I think I'm going to buy something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm all for Elon Musk. I, I hope he goes all the way. I hope that Twitter shareholders understand that this man is, you know, once in a generation creative force, and he'll take uh, he'll take Twitter and make it what it, its potential. You know, I I love being on Twitter. I, I was shocked when they kicked the president off, and many of my followers went with him. Uh, but I've stuck it out. But I I'm energized now. I think Elon Musk is exactly the guy for the job. He's uh, he's so creative. The fact that he could do it with this small change <laughs> is something that I think is quite, uh, quite interesting. I was fascinated by this nuance to this story. So why would 
Elon Musk on Twitter. I, I also think, you know, I think you agree with me that he saw how good Starlink did for Ukraine, literally helped them win, uh, possibly get to this point. They won the first phase of the war. We hope they win the whole thing. And then he says, you know, what else could I do? Well, one thing I could do is help with free speech in this country and stop with the division, letting both sides talk. Well, get the most popular outlet. Let's take a look at it. I'll become the number one investor of Twitter. He saw the outrage, and that makes a guy like him even more competitive. And he thought, I got a better idea. Keep your board seat. I'll take the whole thing and move it private. And then I found out that he is also just as angry as the SEC. I did not remember this, Geraldo. But after he sent some tweets out and smoked pot on, on Joe Rogan's podcast and affected the stock of Tesla— he had to go to an agreement with the SEC, almost feels like it was extortion, that he would have some of his tweets edited before they were sent out, and he had to agree to step down as CEO of Tesla. They said basically, well, they'll kill the company, in his words, unless he did that. It's like taking one of your kids away. And that, in back of his mind, has him seething. What better way to get back and own Twitter? And then you decide he'll edit himself from here, thanks. Well, you know, he is someone who basically came from nothing and created a car company that is historic, absolutely competitive with uh, the the big, the so-called big three, Ford, uh, Chevrolet, Chrysler. He is now in a position where he's can make his own rules, so to speak. But when you see the content of his his own tweets and understand that he's basically allowing a forum where everybody has free speech, where content moderation, uh, which is just another word for censorship, uh, does not run amok. Uh, I think people can self-control, can self-edit. And if they don't, if they really are egregious and uh, to the point where they're, they're criminal, then you take action. But uh, I think that everybody agrees that Twitter is less interesting than it was when Trump was on board. And when you have all of those voices, obviously, you know, admittedly, the guy, what do you have, 100 million followers? I mean, let the market decide who yeah. gets to speak. So here is the media spiraling out of control because of this prospect, because his offer of $54 a share. And he said uh, his plan B might be, Geraldo that he is going to bring it to the shareholders and let the shareholders decide if he should be the leader, uh, be the owner. Cut six. Fear not, right-wingers. Another bro-fascist is waiting in the wings to defend your right to spew bile online. And when talking about this, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. Oh, Elon Musk wants to buy it. But there are massive life and globe-altering consequences for just letting people Mm -hmm. run wild on the thing. There's also a lot of folks out there that say, you know, it's troubling enough that private companies control these key communication platforms around the world. Maybe it's even worse to have the world's richest person trying to buy one of them and take it private. (laughs) It's crazy, right? That whining really is so indicative of that whole uh, class of commentator. They can say virtually anything. And yet, if uh, if someone on the other side replies in a in a sharp and pointed way, they're horrified. Let everyone speak. Let the let the the people decide who they want to listen to. I agree with you. If if he wants to send uh, this issue to Tesla, I mean uh, to uh, Twitter users or or Twitter shareholders, let let the people yeah. speak. You know, vox popular. Let uh, let them speak. I think it'll be it's such an entertaining. You know, now it's uh, it's it's kind of flat and one sided. I, I I would be absolutely psyched to look at my Twitter feed every morning and see what what else was happening. We know this week was dominated by the subway shooter. 
Uh, this guy ends up sitting in uh, in Brooklyn uh, on a chair for hours, staring into the distance, going to the deli at this this cat's deli, buying a sandwich and then sitting there and then cold crime stoppers himself. Did you ever expect a manhunt uh, a manhunt to end like that? I I didn't know what to expect. I mean, you had a knucklehead. I, as I said on Fox and Friends this morning, to me, the miracle on 36th Street is the is the big headline. The fact that here you had a madman committing the worst atrocity ever on the New York City subway, the most uh, the, the most egregious mass shooting ever. Yeah. He fires 33 times with a Glock 9 millimeter in a packed subway car. The smoke, the panic, hits 10 people, kills no one. How do you? I mean, he killed. I'm so relieved. 33 shots, no one dies. Miracle on 36th Street. And the fact that now he's in federal custody rather than in uh, the hands of the local DA in either Brooklyn or Manhattan, the fact that he's in federal custody, he's looking at a life in Supermax. In uh, in Colorado, six floors under the uh, under the ground. Let him rot there. He feared prison. He doesn't have to fear the other prisoners. He'll be in solitary. Let him ponder what he did. The fool and the fact that he had this erratic ending in my old neighborhood, right on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and that so many people responded. I'm so glad. I would have loved to see the citizens make a citizens arrest, but the way they did it, my old Ninth Precinct. Uh, the fact they took him down so quickly, I, I am I'm relieved, and I really do believe, as I said again on Fox and Friends, that Eric Adams, the new chief of police, I'm sorry, the new mayor of New York, the new mayor, ex-cop, the new mayor of New York is the man for the job, a black man who understands the politics and the BS behind so many of the— I hope so, uh, the but the numbers are going up. You know that right now, right, in almost every category in terms of crime. Well, give him time. It's 10 days. It was 100 days. Give him some time. He'll, he'll get to it. The message is right, Brian. When was the last time you heard a mayor speaking like this? This is someone we should support, someone we should back. And some time, at some point, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. At some point, cops will stop as they are constitutionally enabled to do and frisk a guy like that who's, who's lurking and hanging around. I think stop and frisk has to come back. We have to remember the days of uh, Commissioner Bratton, Commissioner Kelly, Commissioner Carrick, uh, Mayor Giuliani, Mayor Bloomberg, when New York was the safest big city on earth. We're going to go back to those days, and the fact that it's a black man at the helm is, I think, uh, is, is wonderful. I think it's, it's right. superb. I want to make you feel better. He's also decided to expand instead of stop the Talent and Gifted program in New York, which you know is a big attraction. They're going to expand it to other bureaus. I love that because de Blasio tried to kill it. And number two is I like what he said after witnessing a series of shootings a couple of nights ago. He said this on New York One, Cut 37. I thought Black Lives Matter. Where are all those who stated Black Lives Matter? When are we going to start asking these serious questions? If Black Lives Matter, then the thousands of people I saw on the street when Floyd was murdered should be on the street right now stating that the lives of these black children that are dying every night matters. We can't be hypocrites. You love that, right? That's it. That's it. He's preach, preach, Mayor, because that's exactly what people need to hear. You know, you have to be involved with saving black lives in cases other than when a cop is involved, which is 99.9% of the time. It is the most 
absolute common cause of homicide, black men up to the age of 42, is it, homicide is the leading cause of death. How could that be? I know. I, I, I think that this is the guy to do it, and I really do think, you know, I know that conservatives don't like to talk about guns being the problem. But even put, put that aside now. I think that what you need now is, is stern policing with a big, big dose of the old community approach that they had when I was growing up, where you knew the cop and the beat. Uh, the police were omnipotent. They were everywhere on the subway. There was not a subway car in the city that didn't have a transit cop on it, not a subway platform, a major platform in the city that did not have a, a, a cop on it. The surveillance camera system that we have is already superb. Make sure all these cameras work. Make sure the Wi-Fi is always working. Make that a very high yeah. priority. And we'll go back to the days. I mean, right. we're already waiting. Hey, we'll maybe get Geraldo back to New York if this continues. <laughs> maybe we'll get you back here. The five has already done that. They make, I'm there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, oh, okay. You know, uh, I, I left, but I only half of me left. You try, you're trying desperately not to be needed. It's not working, Geraldo. You are needed. Geraldo <laughs> uh, Rivera, thanks so much. Have a fantastic Easter. You too. Happy Easter, Brian. All right, go get him. Happy uh, Passover. Uh, uh, to, who, to whom it applies. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, Geraldo. Meanwhile, next to your calls, first time, one 408 Then we talk to Dr. Oz, first time since he got Donald Trump's endorsement. What is it going to mean for the Pennsylvania Senate race? Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's a significant symbology here of this uh, flagship in the Black Sea. It's their number one ship, in other words, in the Black Sea. And now it's taken down. It looks like the Ukrainians did it. If they, if they didn't do it, why are they pulling their ships away from the coastal line? They're, they're pulling the ships away because of the U Ukrainian threat. And it's a huge victory for a Ukrainian. I mean, military, it's not decisive. These, this ship did fire cruise missiles into Ukraine, nothing comparison to the air-launched cruise missiles and to the land-based cruise missiles, but nonetheless, a significant symbol to the Ukrainians, and it's got to be a huge morale boost uh, for Ukrainian forces and likely to the Ukrainian people themselves. General Jack Keenbaum with me on Fox and Friends talking about the taking out of that warship, a flagship warship of the, uh, the Russians, and this is what's so great. Now they say they have these Neptune uh, missiles that could blow up ships. They have to move the ships back. This would almost prevent a amphibious landing into Odessa. They take Odessa, Ukraine ends up landlocked, and the uh, Russians would, in theory, hold the whole area. Now, they won't have one day of rest because the Ukrainians will become a guerrilla force, and they have to understand that. And I think at some level they do. But think about what a nightmare this has been for the Russians. They wanted to take in 72 hours, that was our prediction, Ukraine, kill Zelensky and maybe the Klitschkos. And then after that, take over the country and say, you never joined a NATO, and that's a message to you, Moldova, Finland, Sweden, all you others that might, might aspire to join NATO. Instead, uh, they lose almost every pitch battle. They have to uh, the whole world sees how inept they are as a fighting force, how they have no tactics, they have terrible leaders, they got bad equipment, they ran out of gas, they, had, uh, they did not have any cohesive attack plan, no commander was actually in charge, and after 40 days they retreat out of the capital, out of the north, now they're in the south and the east. 
and they want to take it over, and we got to make sure they they don't, and and that's going to be the focus. Brian, listening on Long Island on 103.9. Hey, Brian. Hey, Brian. I'll start with Elon just in case you cut me off. Um, I, I, Elon is a man who is the smartest man in every room he walks into. He's an envisionary. He sees everything 10 steps ahead. He sees that there's, there's um, a, a global shift that's trying to move away from what – we need to have a, a marketplace and he sees a threat on all his other companies. So what he's doing is he's nipping this in the bud. He, he it, the short term investor on Twitter, it's nothing to him. It's not, it's not, it's not supposed to be a, a financial winner. Um, second, there's the, uh, the border, the Democrats, they thought by uh, pandering and, and letting people cross the border that, that they, they were going to win over, the Democratic populace, but the, the the legal immigrants within this country see how detrimental that all all these 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 um, people that are going to need help is going to be to their jobs, to to their money, and and it's going to hurt them. So they're losing those votes. Well, now what do they do? They double down. They got to let more dependent voters in. They got to let more dependent people in because they need they need to to, to pad that. They have a losing platform, okay? And by last— And, and by the way, they did, about- it's a great business move to let Republicans want to be on there again. They get more ad dollars, more users, more interaction, more interest. That's a better business plan. Thanks so much. I appreciate the call, especially all the listeners at 1039. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Excited. Dr. Oz making progress in Pennsylvania. How does he feel about Donald Trump's endorsement? How do you think it'll affect the polls? Dr. Oz on with us next. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. Great guy. Good man. Good man. Harvard educated. Tremendous, tremendous career. And they liked him for a long time. That's like a poll. You know, when you're in television for 18 years, that's like a poll. That means people like you. And that is enough for the president of the United States. And he let everybody know that Dr. Oz is his pick uh, to get the Republican nomination, replace Pat Toomey and win the general. Uh, Dr. Oz joins us now. Uh, Dr. Oz, what were your thoughts when he made the announcement? Did you know he was going to do it then? He called me right before uh, he walked out on stage and said he was going to send out a press release and he's going to say something on stage. And I tell you, it was exhilarating. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, we work so hard on these campaigns. You, you make sure you're campaigning, doing big public events. Uh, you're trying to serve the people of Pennsylvania. And when the president looks at all the things you've done, and he was very meticulous in the process. He wrote the announcement himself. The actual press release, he wrote. He put things in there that only he would have commented on. But he, you know, he, he said, I'm, I'm going to quote him. He said, I was smart, tough, and will never let you down. And that was just the, that was the, the culmination of the announcement. But he said I was pro-life and pro-Second Amendment, strong on crime, the border. Uh, and I will always fight for and support our under siege you know, conservative ideals. So from his perspective, not only did I represent the values and mores of Pennsylvania, but I would fight for them, which is what he likes. So when did you know it was coming? He called me Friday night. So this you did not Saturday know that, up until then? I, no. Did, yeah, you, 
Yeah, you're talking the whole time. He's interviewing you. He calls you, you know, once a week or so. You'd call and, how's it going, Oz? Oh, what's this? What is that about? I just heard this. You know, just kicking the tires. He wants to know how you'll deal with criticism, with celebration. How do you treat your team? Uh, how do you feel on the major issues? I mean, he really is uh, He's getting into this. And at least my Senate campaign, and obviously Pennsylvania is vital because it's a bellwether for the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then on Friday night, he called. And he said, Oz, I think you're going to be happy tomorrow. And I said, what, what specifically am I going to be happy about? And so yeah. I'm not going to, you know, you'll find out. So then, uh, then he called right before he walked out on stage and told me it was going to happen, which I think he does on purpose because he wants it to be something that everyone learns at the same time. So nothing that I could say would undermine what he's about to say. Uh, but he doesn't want me surprised either. I think it's very thoughtful. And he said some things in the press uh, released, again, that he wrote himself that uh, what really caught my attention. Specifically, he said that when, I, when he came on the show, and remember, I had him on the show in 2016 when nobody would have him on network television. I thought, the man's running for president, for God's sakes. He should have a platform, just like, everybody, like the liberals have a platform. So I let him come on and present his arguments about why he was healthy. And if you remember back then, there was a whole controversy. Was I going to give him a chance? Was he going to be harsh on him? You actually were involved in that because I told you on Fox and Friends that I'm a doctor. He's going to come into my stage and present his health. And I'm not going to criticize him or go after him. And people just came after me hard for not uh, taking shots at him or planning to take shots at him. And, in fact, he came on. He presented himself very effectively. Um, and then I said, listen, you, you, I looked at your medical records. He gave them to us on stage. We weren't ready. We didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, but he understood the power of this. Instead of having the press interpret his medical records, he pulled out the piece of paper from his jacket, slammed it down on the table, and says, there they are. Those are my medical records. I read through them. And I said, you're in good health. I wish you'd lose a few pounds. And he said that exactly in the announcement, which means, first, I couldn't be intimidated by the liberal woke side of the media groups. But I was also not sycophantic. I was going to tell him what needed to be said, which is if you lost a few pounds, it would be, it'd be nice. And I think that was his effort to show that I would say what needed to be said, no matter whether you like to hear it or not. Because that's what doctors do, right? We're there yeah. to get respected, not to make you love us all the time. So this would so as you know, uh, Dave McCormick is running against you, and uh, has in the last polls he's got you by about four or five points. We have not seen a poll since the endorsement. No, that's not true. I'm sorry, that's not true. There well, was a poll, just... Franklin and Marshall public poll that came out based on what happened before the endorsement had us had me up one point. That just, that was the latest public poll. It came out based on data gathered on Friday and Saturday. It came out yesterday. Franklin and Marshall poll. Okay, uh, still it says uh, with 43 percent of the votes still undecided. And which candidate they'll support. Okay. Um, I was 16%. He's 15%. Okay. Before the endorsement. All right, before the endorsement. So, as you know, there's members of the McCormick team, very familiar for, with the Trump team, uh, Steve Miller, Kellyanne Conway, Hope Hicks. Here's what, uh, here's what Kellyanne Conway said the other night with Laura Ingram. I think that it confused many Republicans and conservatives in Pennsylvania because they've seen Oz in his own words on video against guns for abortion, praising Hillary Clinton as one of the most brilliant women, smartest women he's ever met, being for Obamacare and so on and so forth. So do you want to address those things? Of course. That, that, it's compl- First of all, Steve Miller already quit his campaign. And uh, the accusation that in my own words I've said those things is completely false. Not only have I not said those things, they're not true uh, in general. For example, I'm strongly pro-life, strongly supportive of our God-given and constitutionally protected right to bear arms or for law-abiding citizens. Uh, these are issues that 
uh, I, I felt strongly about. And if you try to go back and look at things that I've said, I think you'll find there's ample evidence that none of the things that they're accusing me of are true. The fact that matters, President Trump did this homework. He did it because he cares about these things. And that's why I'm going to quote him again. He says, Dr. Oz is pro-life, mm-hmm. very strong. Election fraud, our great military, our vet that will always fight for and support our under siege Second Amendment. He said those things because he went through all this because McCormick's team had passed all this to him. And I just want to make clear for, for Brian, for everybody. President Trump was comparing me to Dave McCormick. Dave McCormick's wife worked in the Trump administration. Dave applied for a job in, David, in the Trump administration. He was turned down. But the president knew him well. They were calling him and with him continually throughout this process. He had equal access to all the things plus and minus about us. And believe me, I'm quite certain everything negative about me was shared by the McCormick right. team and I, because I, I, I reciprocated. So he had everything in front of him, and he made the decision he made with full knowledge of all the things that could have been said about me, and he didn't believe them because they're not true. But do you think that Hillary Clinton's – a lot of people think Hillary Clinton's brilliant. I've never met her. Do you? Or- Hillary Clinton is a smart woman. I, I, think, I don't know when that tape is from that they found, okay. but it's very old. He was, it, this is back, I mean, probably from the year gotcha. 2000. I, I, I mean, way before she was involved with the Obama administration. Well, uh, I, and she's definitely a smart woman. Okay, so I want to bring you to something else. What's happened since we spoke, back in play, are these mandates. They're extending the mass mandates on planes and buses and mass transit. And in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, according to reports, they're now saying indoor mass mandates. You're, a, you're first and foremost a doctor. Is that the right thing to do with the subvariant spreading, but hospitalizations and deaths down? Categorically not. It is a, another example of top-down authoritarian one-size-fits-all medicine that Fauci and other middle-level unelected bureaucrats in Washington keep posting on us. Why Philadelphia in particular is a problem? Because the mayor of the city is passing this edict. He's not allowed to do that. The mayor can't make health laws of that nature. That has to be at least a state decision to to allow mandates. We cannot have every person involved in government have the power to create health care mandates that restrict people's freedom. There's no medical benefit of putting masks on in that setting. People who are at high risk will already take the precautions that should be taken. Putting a seven-year-old in a mask or a 20-year-old in a mask where it's highly unlikely that they're going to have a problem if they were to get COVID or putting someone who's already had COVID well, or vaccinated in a mask also doesn't make a lot of sense. And frankly, people don't wear the right masks and wear them right anyway. So what difference does it make if you pass a mandate that restricts everybody's activities? And this is exactly what I was complaining about with you on Fox and Friends daily for months when COVID started. And it's shocking to me that it still happened. But I'll tell you why it happened, Brian, because if you mix politics and medicine, you get politics. They have taken out the science. The same thing we're seeing in energy policy and we're seeing the transgender issues. It's a, a desire by woke ideologic individuals to take over the narrative and create false ones. So, and they don't say they don't let any other discussions be heard. It is reprehensible what they have done in Philadelphia. It's my so I live in, I'm in Philadelphia now. It's where I live. And I, I heard that most businesses aren't even enforcing it. But, Dr. Oz, is it true that getting COVID in 2020 or 19, 2020 or 20, is different than getting this variant in 2022? It's a Very totally different. Di- right. So if I get it, uh, I think we have to revisit what we do, I think, because we're, we're quarantining people with a variant that's not even a cold. Almost everybody in Shanghai is asymptomatic. It's shocking that we would fall to this level of fear. 
the last word of the national anthem is brave. Not brave because you're willing to risk your life all the time, but brave because you're willing to say what you see. Brian, what you just said is factually correct. And yet you can't say that in many places and without getting canceled. It's why I was attacked so aggressively when I was talking to you about keeping schools open or you know medications that might work. We have adopted a, 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 a belief that any possible theoretical opportunity to impact on COVID is the right thing to do. There's harm when you do these things, and especially when they don't work. So if you had COVID, the original variants, which were much more problematic, then you're probably protected well enough anyway. If you didn't have original COVID, and I've never had COVID, if I were to get this new variant, odds are I would tolerate it very well, especially since we have antivirals that are not widely available, but FDA approved and can be found. And if you're older and high risk, the uh, the uh, the antibody cocktails make a ton of sense. So we have treatments. We understand the virus better. And the virus is much, much, much less dangerous. So why are we treating this like a pandemic-level right. problem when it's an endemic issue? It's because we've created a fear Absolutely. of anything COVID. And that I, bl- I lay flatly on the feet of uh, Fauci, which I've asked for him to be fired, removed, or any capacity eliminated. I'm supportive of Rand Paul, who's, who's a friend's efforts to just remove the position. If you can't remove Fauci, just cancel the job. So I want you to hear, this is how, uh, this is playing to your point. You know how I feel, I've made it clear, and you're the medical expert, and I know where you stand. But just go to show you the other side. Listen to The View. Listen to Sonny Holson on The View. Talk about the mask mandate and the rise in cases. When it comes to mask mandates, um, they're there because people just aren't great people. Um, and that, that's just the bottom line. Americans just aren't, aren't great to each other. We just aren't. And so when it comes to things like flying, yeah, you know, the, the mask you mandate the mask. is supposed to be lifted April 18th. I don't want to get on a plane with super spreaders. I don't want to get on a plane with 214 other people that are going to be breathing on me with their COVID breath. I don't want it. Yeah. I don't want it. See, your reaction to her action. There are people like Sonny who will drive in their car by themselves with a mask on, go jogging on the, in a park with their mask on, and line the beach with a mask on. But none of those make any sense medically. The, the planes are a good example. The air is 99.5% purified. So it's about the cleanest air you're going to be exposed to because the air comes from outside the plane to a large extent, which is pretty clean at 35,000 feet. You cannot live in continuous fear of other human beings. You are creating a, an illness that adults suffer from, but kids are paralyzed by, by creating this kind of a belief that we are each other's biggest threat. It's just not true. Mm -hmm. The average Democrat during the pandemic, when when it was really surging, Mm -hmm. believed that it was a one in three chance that you would be hospitalized if you got COVID. One in three chance. What's the reality? The real number, by the way, was under 1%. So it doesn't make any sense to, to trick people, lie to people, continually scare people into believing that they're in dire risk when they're not, because they'll start to say things like Sonny Halston just said in the view. And those women, as you know, have been very unkind to me, even though I've done that show countless times, because I'm a Republican. As soon as I announced that I had Republican views and, and, um, and I was going to express them without reservation, immediately turned because I wasn't willing to say things the way they want to. If you argue with Sonny right now, you get shouted off the stage. Yeah. Uh, good luck with that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's great to be so certain that you can shout. Usually when people shout, they're uncertain about their arguments. You know that, and you never shout. Uh, the, the last thing that I think is in, uh, important to bring up is that we have a situation right now in this country where we're looking for other reasons to shut schools down, mass down, uh, on, on, I think, inaccurate information on a variant that's a subvariant to begin with. 
I, I want you to know, what is your reaction to what's going on in Shanghai now? They have locked down between 23 and 25 million people. Uh, then 95% are asymptomatic. They've locked down a whole city. I mean, as a medical professional, what does that say about the character of China, number one, that they would do this without feeding their people or giving them water? Some of them are starving to death, jumping off balconies. What does that say to you about China, number one? And you've spent time there, and they were a supporter of, of your show, and they watched your show. What, and what does it say about their, their medical knowledge of a virus they started? China is a tinderbox. I think it's a hollow empire that's at risk of having a crisis because of events like this. Without an authoritarian uh, surveillance state model of government, they'd be in trouble, which is why they continue to crack down harder and harder on all dissent um, and have, are creating con- continuous humanitarian crises. There is a large desire to get advice on help outside the country because they don't trust their own health providers. Shockingly, Right. Because they get cheated so often with domestic products. They prefer products made outside the country or products made by Americans working inside the nation because they don't trust their own people. And I think this is representative of what happens when you have a totalitarian government. Trust evaporates. It's one of the reasons I'm so concerned about America is we have big government, big media, big industry all singing off the same hymnal. That's a totalitarian leadership. But, Ryan, Ryan, this is really critical. The world has two choices. They have capitalism built on a democracy, uh, what we're offering as a model. They have that surveillance state totalitarian top-down approach offered by China, which creates an economy that functions. If we don't thrive, the world will be pushed towards China. The reason China must destroy America is if we don't fall away, their system of governance and economy cannot become a dominant one. So as we look at what's happening in Shanghai, and it'll spread to other parts of the country in other ways, yep. remember that they are enemies of ours in that they need to prove that their system is better than ours. And we need to make sure ours works functionally at the highest level possible so the world has us to look towards as its North Star. Right. And by the way, it was my bad. It was on my, uh, it was on my sheet. Uh, Dr. Oz and Dave McCormick, uh, 16% for Dr. Oz. Uh, Dave McCormick through 15%, and there's still a lot undecided and a lot of hard work, and not a poll has been done since the endorsement. Dr. Oz, keep working hard. Always great to talk to you. Appreciate it. God bless you, my friend. Take care. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, we're making that decision now. Thank you. Who would you send? What was the reason? You ready to go? Yeah. He's ready for anything. The man likes a fast car, some aviators. He's ready to go to Ukraine. Um, <laughs> it's true. He does. Uh, we are not sending the president to Ukraine. You should. Um, I'm actually, I don't really think this president should go to Ukraine. I worry about his condition in a war zone. They're still bombing the capital. But I would send the secretary of defense. I would restock and restaff our embassy like Italy has and the Baltic nations have. And there were three Baltic nation leaders that did actually go to the Ukraine. Bill, you're listening in Missouri. Hey, Bill. Hey, Brian. Uh, I was thinking this morning, you know, uh, Washington and D.C., they really don't give out plane schedules. You know, they like to deliver it in throughout the night. Yeah, talking about the illegals, right? 
Yeah, illegals. Uh, and D.C. is a big town. Uh, why, and why should we get – I don't think we should give them a schedule about when the illegals arrive. And it's a big city. Uh, they could go to any corner. So you're talking about Texas busing them into Washington and then Florida going to bus them into Delaware and just drop them off. Uh, and then people could see what it's like being in a border state or being in a place like uh, working class Long Island or Westchester County or Pennsylvania. That's what the administration's doing. It's diabolical. They put them into school districts that are overtaxed and overstressed, and it hurts everybody. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th. Heard around in New York, of course, but heard around the country, and I hope heard around the world, especially Ukraine. I'll talk to Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. Man, he's one of these generals that always, like General King, he leads, uh, he leads with new information. So... He's tapped in. He knows the challenges uh, Ukraine is facing and knows the success they've had. Shannon Bremen here because Fox Nation is rolling. If you're watching Fox Nation and listening to the show on the app, you know Shannon's here. She's got a brand new book out. Uh, She's also going to be joining me on One Nation, which airs Saturday night at 8 and then 11 o'clock. Shannon, I just want to be nice and say hello first. Good morning. But for you, this is like dinner time. Right. This is dinner. Because <laughs> I, I was up at, um, I know what I did. I hit snooze today for the first time in like since Ukraine war started. Because really? I'm so pumped up about this war. You ready to go? From 2.30 to 2.36. I slept six extra minutes. But uh, and that's why I look so well rested. the most glorious six minutes it of was your joy. life? It just flew by. Right? <laughs> it I did, mean, literally like, did this just, just fly by. I'm trying to figure out what was fictional. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Every single Border Patrol agent is extremely frustrated and upset about what's going on on the border. It is, in fact, by design. They are doing this on purpose. This administration has some very intelligent individuals at DHS, and they know what's happening. Um, They just don't have the will to push back against this White House. Biden's self-inflicted border crisis has states and some Dems uniting against his flat-out betrayal of the country. We'll discuss it. Number two. It's a significant symbology here. This uh, flagship in the Black Sea, and now it's taken down. It looks like the Ukrainians did it. And it's a huge victory for Ukraine. I mean, military, it's not decisive, but nonetheless, a significant symbol to the Ukrainians. Russia suffers a brutal blow, losing their key warship at the hands of the Ukrainians as they brace for an eastern assault while desperately trying to hold on to Mariupol, the latest on the war and the warnings Moscow is giving us and NATO and the world. Number one. Fear not, right-wingers. Another bro-fascist is waiting in the wings to defend your right to spew bile online. There's also a lot of folks out there that say, you know, it's troubling enough that private companies control these key communication platforms around the world. Maybe it's even worse to have the world's richest person trying to buy one of them and take it private. Why is Brian Stelter still on the air? Uh, Musk must find a way, as in Elon Musk. Way is the what I'm talking about to buy Twitter, his first and final offer causing panic in the woke community and in left-wing newsrooms, how it's all playing out and what obstacles remain for the world's richest man. So do you tweet, Shannon Bream? Heck to the yeah. You do? You know I do. Right. Do you disappointed that so many conservative co- uh, accounts have been frozen or kicked off? Well, it's funny. I think we've all talked about what happened after the 2020 election. I had like 60,000 that disappeared overnight. 
So I don't know if they were just getting rid of bots or what was happening there, but uh, yeah, there there was some house cleaning. Hey, hey, Eric, do you remember how much I said I lost? Because they were tired of me complaining. I, right? and <laughs> he's like, same, exactly. About 50 to 100,000. Yeah, 50 to 100,000. Like he's like, today, yeah. 83,137. Right. I mean, I just got back. Track. I was at 551 when Trump was president. And then I dropped down to like 410, I think. Right. And now I'm up to 581. I don't Look know how you. many. Most of them are my really good friends. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm feeling less special and important all the time. <laughs> but listen, I'm excited because your book is now out. It's no longer an idea. It's something I can hold. Mm-hmm. It's the Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith and Nine Biblical Families. It's also going to be a TV special, Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, airing Fox News on Fox News Channel Sunday at 10 o'clock. That's a lot of bream. It is. Are you sick of me yet? Because I'm also, I understand I've got an invitation to your Saturday show. Yes. Congratulations. Because hey, you, you. you weren't busy enough. Right. Um, America needs to hear more from me. I, they do. Right. But listen, by the end of this weekend, they might be sick of both of us. What Do you think it's bad? Well, you're a woman. Um, how so do you know that? I, I, I'm not a biologist. <laughs> That's so what how I'm would saying. I know? How can you be Shannon, sure? You, very good penetrating question. <laughs> so... I feel very comfortable walking around in my real life in makeup. I realize I'm in makeup all the time. Every once in a while, my, um, my wife will go, do you, you always have your makeup on? I think you're at the gas station. People are like looking you up and down like, why is this Wait, collar we, orange? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> What's happening? He's got a shower. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but you're, you're, you're always on. That's the thing with you. Right. I feel very comfortable in makeup. Uh, and the, I just think it's a very dynamic time to be on the air. Um, I want to talk about uh, women in the Bible speak because they do. Mm-hmm. The best they can. You bring them to life. But I also want to talk about what Elon Musk said yesterday. Mm-hmm. Cut one. I do think this will be somewhat painful, and I'm not sure that I will actually be able to to acquire it. Um, and I should also say the, the intent is, is to uh, retain as many shareholders as is allowed by the law. It's definitely not, not from the standpoint of let me figure out how to monopolize or maximize my ownership of Twitter. Uh, but we'll try to bring along as many shoulders as, we, right. as we're allowed to. You don't um, necessarily want to pay out 40 or whatever it is, billion dollars in cash. You'd, you'd like them to come, come with you in, in, in the yeah, new Yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, I mean, I could technically afford it. Um, I, I heard that. I heard that. Um, but but, 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 it's, but I'm, what I'm saying is this is, this is, this is, a, this is not a, a, a way to sort of make money. And that's what I believe. But, you know, my humble opinion mm. is that still when he got his satellites uh, in order to allow the Ukrainians right. to continue to broadcast, he saw that he literally affecting the outcome of war. Right. Good guys and bad guys. We know yeah. who the bad guys are. And he said, I could do this again. I could, I could allow our First Amendment to matter again on social media because the other media outlets would be forced to follow Elon Musk's wake. Yeah, you got to think about that. If he pulls this off with Twitter, what happens with the other the, the Facebooks, the Why TikToks, would you go on the Instagram? Like, Why would you stay? Yeah, and you have people saying like, "I am going to leave Twitter if he." You know, it's the same thing. Like, I'm moving to Canada if Trump wins. I mean, like, is there going to be this mass exodus off Twitter? I don't know. Um, but if he is arguing for neutrality, and remember, he says he's a free speech absolutist because when he put those satellites up in Ukraine, people were like, "Ooh, now you can block the Russian news and Russian propaganda." He's like. No, short of gunpoint to my head, I'm not doing that. And so all he's asking for is free and unfettered. Like, it's not, you know, you can't be calling for harm to other people. But if it's just speech you don't like or disagree with, that is what the First Amendment's about. So why does that have people so furious and panicked? I mean, you you wrote it on your show. You wrote some of the left-wing crazies on on your show. Yeah, we loved it. 
I mean, to hear from people who are tweeting like, this is the end of democracy if he gets Twitter. I'm like, really? Because you'll have to hear things that you don't like? I mean, it's not like he's going to block people that disagree with him. He's no, gonna he's leave saying, people- I'm just going to open it wide open. And if you don't like it, don't follow those people. And, the, you know, we always say the antidote for bad speech or speech you disagree with is more speech. Have right. more conversation. No. According no? to our experts, Max... Boot, who used to be a military expert, a conservative, uh, uh, somebody that during the Bush years anyway, Max Boot came out and he had an interesting quote. He said, I am frightened by the impact of society and politics. If Elon Musk requires Twitter, he seems to believe that on social media, anything goes for democracy (laughs) to survive. We need more content moderation. We need more. We need more censoring. Suppress those for freedom. I don't don't get it. I'm very confused by this whole argument because think about this. The Supreme Court has protected things like Westboro Baptist Church, which every sane person would say is heinous when they go out and they and they pick at these funerals and they say the worst possible things. We can't even repeat it. But the fact that they are protected because of free speech. I mean, there are different forums, you know, private, public, all that kind of stuff. But you got to have that conversation. We're a country like no other place in the world. If you want to be suppressed, we can get you a ticket to Shanghai. Right. That goes well. Uh, mm-hmm. They where they lock you in your apartment, asymptomatic. Kill your pets. Uh, yes, they put your pets in a bag and kill them. Mm-hmm. Leave them in a bag until they die, and leave you in an apartment until you die because you have no food and water. But you're not going to get out of line on Twitter, right? Absolutely, that's under the, control. I did not know this. Vladimir Putin is on Twitter. I don't know. Probably uh, all, all yeah. the ayatollahs who cry for death to America and death to Israel every so, week, like they're on there too. And I was just saying this is I was talking to Devin Nunes, who's running the president's brand new mm-hmm. social media. They have a slow rollout, Truth Social. I actually don't think Trump would go on uh, hmm. if if they asked him to go back. I don't think he would. Oh, back onto Twitter. Yeah, I don't know. Come on, I don't know if he could resist if they were but if like Truth Social's gonna... better, and he's trying to you know. Yeah. He, it's like and what he, he may what drive he's... people there and say, "Come here if you want to hear from me." But I think the lure of Twitter would be very tempting to him. I mean, what a megaphone. Do you tell him about it? But you realize this (laughs) was okay up until 2016? It's not like we say when our parents grew up, this wasn't a problem. This was not a problem. Mm -hmm. We never really heard of suspended accounts, really, Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. President Trump became president. Have you ever been suspended? No. Have you? Yet. No. But the day is young. Right. (laughs) We'll see. But, But you are labeled as evil. Well, and I am on a regular basis by someone who would know. Greg Gutfeld. Right. Right. He <laughs> Does he ever had you on as a guest? Um, hello, I did the whole hour on Tuesday night. I, I know you need to sleep at times. Right. But you couldn't be up from 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And then you o'clock. tossed to yourself? Yeah, basically. Uh, okay. Same outfit. I had to, you know, I had to. Did you actually physically get up and go somewhere? Um, I did when the show was over. I couldn't stay there. All right. Like, did get did out. you pre-tape it? We did. Okay, you weren't going to tell, tell me all that. The were secrets. You, you weren't going to tell me that. Well, the, I, that is you're letting people behind the curtain. I don't know I how am. much they can handle, so a little bit at a time. You 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 love the law. I do. If loving the law is wrong, I don't want to be right. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's so deep. You you're against crime. Yeah. Uh, yes. Last I checked. Right, but you know a lot about crime. Well, I do, but not from personal experience. So this is the most bizarre thing, and I agree with Geraldo. One of the one of the most fortuitous things ever. You have this sixty-two-year-old get on a subway this week, mm-hmm. walk through a turnstile in a reflective vest and a hard hat with a gym bag. In the gym bag is an axe, fireworks, smoke bombs, and a Glock, right? Mm-hmm. And extra magazines. He waits for this train to get close to the platform and starts shooting after tossing. The smoke bomb. Mm-hmm. He drops his axe. He drops his license. He drops the keys to a U-Haul right. he rented to do He's this. He's not good at this. And then the story today on the cover of the New York Post and Daily News, 
has him going from the train where he, thankfully, everyone survived, but he shot 13 people. He goes right across to the R train, goes one stop, gets out, then sits in the park for a while, goes to a, a swanky Chinatown restaurant, then goes to Cat's Deli, where he gets something to eat and stares on a bench. Well, there's a massive manhunt mm-hmm. for him and then calls himself in on Crime Stoppers after charging his phone for two hours at McDonald's. Does he get the reward? Of himself? For charging himself in? So, Shannon, everything I just told you, this is the the worst way to av- avoid being caught ever? Right. It worked for him, though. <laughs> it was, he was uh, the reverse for a five, psychology. Five, uh, five, five black guy. I mean, think about this. Well, in some media accounts that we didn't even get the race. I mean, they're trying to be careful about the way. Like, if you're looking for somebody who could have been a mass murderer. Right. I mean, I mean, it, it sounds like by all accounts this person. He wanted to be. Allegedly, that's what he was planning to do. Um, but when you think about the broken cameras and all the things, you think about New York City. I assume everywhere that I'm walking, like, don't pick your nose or anything. There are cameras on you at all London times. London was the first, I think. Yeah, and, and it's they're all over the place here. But if they're not working in a situation like this you got to start to ask questions. Well, they said there was Wi-Fi problems. Is that okay for you? I got Wi-Fi problems every time I get on a flight, and I pay for it, and then I can't access anything. Right. (laughs) But this is on the ground all over New York City. This guy turns himself in. Right. After hanging out. He's bad at everything. I mean, thank God he's a bad shot, apparently. And I don't know how badly injured some of these people are, but thank God they live through this. And this is with the complete circle, like Seinfeld esque. They left his YouTube page up Mm -hmm. as he spouted the hatred of white people, the need for a race war. He was ready to blow his mental health. Mm -hmm. He's got a huge track record. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to moderate social media effectively, Mm -hmm. but I would say if you have a hard case not to take that down or call the police and go, listen, there's a guy who's telling you he's going to start a race war. And was outraged that Supreme Court Justice Jackson, soon to be, mm-hmm. had married a white guy. Yeah. Ranting about that. Why wouldn't that light up? Remember we used to do those algorithms where uh, we used to find out what al-Qaeda liked to talk about before an attack and use the term birthday through Arabic. So why aren't we using any of those algorithms? He didn't use the word ivermectin. Right. So that's why they didn't get him. That is wow. That is. Funny. I'm just saying because they will go after certain things right. and lock it way down real quickly. But I do worry that somebody could be espousing that level of violence not once but repeatedly, yeah. and nobody flagged that. But Trump is off. Thank goodness. Well, do you feel safer? Not yet. Okay. Maybe in the break. We're getting there. Uh, Shannon Bream is going to tell me about her brand new book and the special that comes out Sunday. Uh, the mothers and the daughters of the Bible speak. Of course, this is uh, Good Friday. And tomorrow's Holy Saturday, followed by Easter. Thank you. Uh, that's why this book is especially important. Shannon Bream here. Don't move. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Shannon Bream, you know, she hosts a show at midnight uh, Eastern time, 9 o'clock on the West Coast. But Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak is now out. Lessons on Faith and the Nine Biblical Families. 
Shannon, first book, big success. What's the difference with this one? What's your focus? It's more of a family lens for looking at faith and relationships and how people come together, sometimes the blood family, sometimes by marriage or adoption or whatever it is. Um, It's just looking through the difficulties because nobody's family is perfect. Maybe yours. I've heard a lot of good things, and your wife is amazing. I've met her. So your family might be on the upside, but there are some flawed, messed up families in the Bible, and there's some good ones. But I think we can learn through all of that. Can you give me one? I can give you a flawed one. Do you want to start there? Let's go. Okay, so we have uh, fathers and daughters and mothers and sons in this book, too. So all kinds of relationships. But think about this. King Saul, he was very threatened by the man who eventually became King David. But Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David. So he sees an opportunity to marry him off and, like, you know, kind of mess with King David. So he gives him this impossible task for all these people he has to go kill in order to win his daughter's hand. David doubles it and survives Then Saul tries multiple times pre- and post-wedding to kill David. So if you have in-laws that you don't like, you don't get along with, short of them plotting to and actually physically trying to murder you, you're in better shape than this family in the Bible. So you want sometimes by seeing negative stories, you feel better about yourself. Well, of course, and you can learn from the negative, I think. And and we really look at the relationship between King Saul and Michal, his daughter, and just how dysfunctional it was. And as daughters, you look to your dad as a protector and and somebody to guide you. So I think there are lessons from the bad examples too. So I'm listening to David Mamet do a Joe Rogan interview and he says he spends all this time just reading the Bible. And he mm. says that he believes the Bible are a bunch of stories basically written to to tell you something about how you should live mm-hmm. that they didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. Do you believe they actually happen? I do. I mean as a Christian that is the bedrock of my faith. I believe that the Bible is inspired the the inspired word of God. So I believe these people existed and there is historical evidence for a lot of these kings and you know leaders and different people from that time uh, that is separate and apart from the Bible. Why did it take so long to write things down? Well, did we, we miss a generation or two before? Was it Matthew that wrote things down? Well, you think about... During Jesus's life? Yeah, you think about there was this long period of like 400 years between the Old and the New Testament where apparently nothing happened. The people felt like God wasn't speaking. There weren't angels visiting. All of this picks back up now when Christ comes to earth and Gabriel comes to tell Mary, you're going to have this baby. He's going to be the savior of the world. But there was a very long period there where the faithful were just waiting and felt like they didn't hear anything from God, but they kept on practicing their faith and waiting and trusting. And and you realize if God was to do something now, we definitely would capture between the ring doorbell and everything that we mm-hmm. have, we definitely would capture it on camera. Um, he has miraculous powers that can actually even evade a ring doorbell if necessary. <laughs> you think so? He's above and beyond the ring doorbell. Um, but think about it. In this day and age, there's so many weird things happening in the world. I think for some people, um, they're hardened. And and for them, even if they saw a miracle, it would be hard for them to believe. I look at what Ukraine's doing right now. You talk about good and evil. I'm seeing good yeah. and evil, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, we are. And there's so many faithful believers throughout that region. Um, And they desperately need our prayers and for miracles. Uh, And they are certainly tough. Uh, The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Bible Speak is now out. Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. Also, the TV special, 10 o'clock on Sunday. And Shannon, you're going to be on One Nation with me on Saturday night. I'm so excited. You don't have to sing on my show, though. But I'll do it for free. Right. I should do One Nation the musical. We can work on that, right? Okay. Yes, I'm in. Lyrics. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Given the potential desperation of uh, President Putin and the Russian leadership, given the setbacks that they've faced so far militarily, um, none of us can take lightly um, the threat posed by a potential resort to 
to tactical nuclear weapons. And that's uh, that's the CIA director speaking at a college talking about the threat of China, number one. Number two, that a desperate Russia used a tactical nuke. Now they're threatening Sweden and Finland. If they join NATO, uh, we will have to bulk up and move up our nuclear arsenal. I'm not sure what's real or not, uh, but we know this. Everything that Russia wanted to accomplish so far, they're not getting. And we are also seeing, the world is seeing how ruthless and barbaric their military is and how inept they are and how unmotivated uh, they are at this moment. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg joins us now. Uh, General, always great to hear from you. Your, your reaction to the taking out of that warship yesterday. Yeah, Brian. Brian, thanks for having me. Look, that was significant. Uh, and the reason why it's significant, the Moskva was the flagship of the Black Sea Fleet. That's the, the big thing. It's but it was taken out by uh, an anti-ship missile called, called a Neptune. That is made by Ukrainians. It's got a range of about 150 miles. What that did operationally, it forced the naval vessels of the Black Sea, sea Fleet of the Russians to move out of the, the area back over 100 miles because, the, again, the range is 150 miles, which really frees up Odessa. There was a lot of concern that the only – port left to the Ukrainians was going to be Odessa, and there was a fear of an amphibious assault into Odessa by Russian Marines on board amphibious ships uh, supported by the Moskva, which had missiles on it as well as given itself uh, good command and control. With that gone now, the Russians have lost that opportunity, and that's significant because when you add Kiev onto that as well, the Russians are not doing well. That's a significant loss. Um, uh, to them, it's psychologically a significant loss, and operationally, it's a significant loss. And it allows the Ukrainians to have a, a lot of more opportunity to do some real damage in the south to the Russian forces. How uh, does a Neptune launch? What, how was it launched from? Yeah, it, it's launched off. Uh, it's launched off to uh, actually a truck, uh, but it's got a good command control system, and there's eight missiles per truck. And they said they fired two at it. But it's, it's well-guided. They've got an operational – like it's sort of like a GPS guidance on it. And it's a ski-skimming missile, which means you don't pick it up right away as it's coming at you because it stays right on the, almost on the surface. What the Ukrainians apparently did is they kind of got everybody's attention by flying a couple of drones above the, above the Moscow. So everybody's looking up when the missiles are coming at them from the, from the, the sea level. And they come at such speed – uh, that you really can't defend against it if you're not looking for it. And it looks like what happened is it hit on the port side, apparently, the left side of the ship, damaged it. And then if you had secondary explosions, which apparently they did have, uh, it, 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 the ship was basically gone. They tried to tow it and just capsized on them. Okay. So it, it was a smart move, and now it, it just forces the Russians to back up. Uh, it does. And we also understand, since we're not sending harpoons, General Kirby, Admiral Kirby said they don't know how to work them, even though – uh, Congressman Walt said you could just put someone on the ground. We have contractors there, I guess. We're not admitting it. Uh, we could t- teach him that in a very short period of time. But the, it looks like the British are sending surface to uh, to ocean ro- uh, to land to ocean rockets, whatever their version of the harpoons are. It looks like the British are sending them. That would again give a, give the Ukrainians a chance to take some of the Black Sea back. Correct. Well, yeah. What it does, it denies them access to to Odessa which is a critical port facility for the Ukrainians. And the Neptunes are good. They're, they're homemade, though. What the Harpoon does, or the British system as well, it gives you more of an extended range, more powerful payload 
on the, on the front of the of, um, of the missile. And, and and the congressman is right. Look, Brian, it doesn't take a long time to learn these systems how to work them. If you're used to working a system that's similar, you can train these people in in, in a short period of time. Um, it's it's a lot harder to tra- you know, cross train a jet pilot. Then it is to put a ground system in place. I've seen it. You know, you can, you know, take a couple of practice shots at it and you're good to go. So uh, to me, it was it's significantly, uh, significantly important that they get those missiles. They did it and it scared the heck out of the Russians. Um, and I know that's the reason why all the reports I'm getting, they've moved their, uh, the rest of the Black Sea fleet pretty far out to sea right now. Uh, interesting. So we understand the bad news is they're, the Russians are tightening their grip on Mariupol. They put their own mayor in there. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to slowly squeeze and starve uh, and starve out what's left of the citizens there and the fighting force there. What's the best way for the Ukrainians to survive and maybe push back with Mariupol? Is there anything that they could do in country? Is there a weapon system that would back off the Russians? Well, there's two things, Brian. One, we finally, finally started to give them good offensive kind of equipment like 155-millimeter howitzers, which will give them the equivalent range that the Russians have with their howitzer, so it comes to more of a conventional fight. But here's what I think they might be planning to do. As I think they're going to do an offensive, the Ukraine is a different part. If you look near down to the south, uh, towards where uh, Crimea is, if they put on offensive down there and they were able to cut off Crimea, uh, you know, Crimea's only got a land bridge of about four miles that connects us to Ukraine proper. If they could conduct an offensive and cut that, it's almost a quid pro quo, and it forces now the Russians to look at two directions. If, instead of just getting them in a fight, a gun-tube-to-gun-tube fight, which the conventional forces, the Russians, have a little bit of an advantage there, I would go to a dissimilar approach, an asymmetric approach, and force them to fight in a different direction and try to relieve some of the pressure on the Donbass. That might finally uh, get Putin to say, well, maybe we, need, we really do need to talk, because sooner or later— Diplomatically, uh, they're going to have to come to a uh, you know solution on this. It's they can't keep fighting. The Russians have got a real problem. They're not going to take Ukraine. I think when they walk out of Kiev and, and retreated, that was a clear signal to me that Kiev is saved and Ukraine as a country is not going to fall. But General, so some people later, say that this. Later. Some people say this strategy. But you're the you're the general. Some people say this could be the strategy: get the Ukrainians to come fight them in a more of an open setting in the Donbass. And then when you wipe out their best units, you go back up and take Kiev. Is that a possibility? Yeah, and that's really, it's always a possibility, Brian, but that's the reason I say go for an asymmetric approach. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Force them to look in two directions. I would conduct an if I was them, I would conduct an offensive in a different part of the country and force the Russians to look differently as well. They've got the strength right there in the Donbass region. Keep fighting like a delaying action there. But attack somewhere else and make the Russians go. Make the Russians fight on your terms instead of on their terms. Look, it's a high risk game. It's a high risk adventure. But you can't go gun tube to gun tube with the Russians. They simply have got more artillery than than the Ukrainians have. That's the reason why we're supply, supplying it. So my point was, okay, don't let your major units get affected by that. Hold them in reserve. Go to a different direction. Again, it's a risk strategy. But the way the Ukrainians have been fighting, they're willing to take risks, and I think. Uh, they might be willing to take another risk to throw the Russians off balance. Look, they've done so many different things to keep the Russians off balance. Uh, it's a real tribute to them and their leadership. But there's, there's, it doesn't seem like the Russians are organized. Their communication is terrible. The morale is down. And now they're finally back to what you guys always said. You need one commander. How did the Russians not know that? Well, they've Brian, they violated probably about 
six principles of war, unity of command, mass, simplicity, you name it, they seem to have violated it. It's almost like they said, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. We're going to take Kiev in three days. We're going to you know, shoot off rockets and celebrate, be happy. And then when they, they, they had their hats handed to them, it was one of those, oh, we made a major mistake. And their units are not that well trained. It's, it's being proven on the battlefield. And they also sacrificed their best units early on. The units that went after, after Kiev were the best units they had. The VDV, that's their airborne, their Spetsnaz, select tank units, they have been beaten pretty badly. It's going to take time to reconstitute. So basically we're saying right now, okay, you've got your second team in right now when it comes to military units because we used our best units and need to refit and reconstitute. We put Dvornikov, that new Russian commander, in place. But he he thinks like the old Russians think, and the and the Ukrainians Wreck think everything. like Western armies think. Yeah, yeah. Um, they think with much, Ukrainians think with much more agility uh, and, and ability to fight. Uh, we're talking to uh, Lieutenant General uh, Keith Kellogg, Fox News contributor, former National Security Advisor to Vice President Pence, former Chief of Staff of the National Security Council in the Trump administration, and author of War by Other Means. So Vladimir Putin admitted yesterday. Uh, in a call, speaking to government officials via video link from his residence, he said that payments for Russian energy exports were under strain and that banks from unfriendly countries had been delaying transfer of funds. Quote, as we have said many times before, the most urgent problem here is the disruption of export logistics. The significance, General, of him admitting that. Yeah, well, it's it's saying to me that he's got a problem and he knows he's got a problem. He's trying to you know, the economic sanctions, they're finally starting to take hold. I've said all along, it takes while a while for economic sanctions to hit. It's taken almost 50 days, but they will hit. Um, and I think that we need to keep the pressure on to do it. I think he admits that. But here's the other thing I do, Brian, which is almost – we talk military, we talk economic. Now the diplomatic piece, I have no idea why we don't reopen our embassy in Kiev today. And we should do that as Italy well. Italy did. Put pressure the on. Baltic nations did. Yep. And, and I don't know why we ought to we ought to we ought to put pressure diplomatically, economically, militarily all at the same time on them and real make the people that support Putin start to doubt Putin's leadership ability. And maybe internally they'll say, you know, maybe you need to take a, a long siesta, you know, down to your dacha somewhere. So uh, Russia is warning us to stop arming Ukraine, according to The Washington Post today. Russia sent a formal diplomatic note to the U.S. warning the U.S. and NATO shipments of the most sensitive weapon systems to Ukraine was adding fuel to the conflict there and could bring unpredictable consequences. You know what they're referring to. Yeah. What's your thought? I, I, I don't. I think it's a bluff on their part right now. I think if they were willing to go there, they would have gone to it earlier. I think they realized if they had been winning, it's a different story. But now that they're losing, I think they're saying, ah, we may not want to go there because we're playing with a losing hand. My biggest fear has never been the nuclear piece because I think even though they do have what you know, what they call tactical nukes, and I don't agree on anything called a tactical nuke, but they do have sub-kiloton weapons they, they can use, and they talk about using them uh, on the battlefield. My biggest worry is they'll use chemical because it's in their DNA. They've used chemical against their political opponents. Uh, they've used chemical in, in war fighting. Look what look what Dvornikov did when he when he was a commander in Syria, and that's my worry. They use something like that. But if he does that, I think it's a lost cause, and I'm not too sure. I, I would at least have doubts that that the Russian military would say, "Hey, this we've now gone way too far on this," and they would they might do something. They could talk about it, but I I don't think they're 
I think it's a little bit right of a bluff. I wouldn't have said that three weeks ago. I'd say it now. I think it's a, it's almost like a bridge too right. far for them. But again, the one I think they would use instead of the nuclear, I think they'd use the chemical, uh, some type of nerve gas. And they might have already. Uh, finally, General, we have uh, developed nations like Sweden and Finland who want to join. And they were warned by the Russians, do not join NATO. We're going to rechange and, and reinvigorate our nuclear arsenal if we do and, and place them in different places. Should we just say flat out yes to, to those nations? Yeah, I think we, we should tell him yes. We should tell him abs- absolutely, you know, join NATO. I mean, he's, these are all bluffs right now. Putin has played the best game he's had, and he's losing it. Everywhere, right? Yeah. yeah. But if yeah. he's able to take the Donbass region and claim it as his own, he could say, look it, I've got the iron, i got the coal, i got the oil, i got the richest area of Ukraine. And years ago, you know, being that the, the crushes to Centaway is, he could act as if that was his goal all along. That's right, and that's what he's probably going to try to do because he's losing. He realizes it's a losing game for him. All right, General, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm, you know, we've had uh, other conversations that didn't look quite this optimistic. I've also been warned that the Russians have endless resources, ton of people they can call up. So they do, and they don't care about casualties, even their own. So uh, to to not to not rejoice too soon. You 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 report to that school too. Yeah, but Brian, I, you know, I remember Afghanistan when they lost fifteen thousand and you know, basically brought the Soviet Union down. If the reports are true, they're either approaching that number, or they pass that number, and the Russian people are finally going to see through it. You know, after a while, if there was a quick win. You'd say, okay, we won pretty rapidly, but you know, this is still playing out on Russian TV, and people are starting to go. You know, they start going, why is this taking so long? What's happening? It'll finally break through, and I think it'll 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 hurt Putin trying to stay in power, because eventually what happened is the Russian mothers got tired of fighting in Afghanistan when the bodies started coming home. This may be the same thing where the public is going to turn against them, that's saying, okay, they'll support them right now, but over time they're going to say, like, why are we doing this? This is a lost cause, especially when the reports are coming out that some of his best units that he has have been pretty badly mauled. So am I optimistic? Yeah, but you are absolutely right. It's, it's still a tough fight. Uh, it still is up in the air. There's no guarantee of anything. But right now, if I was putting some money down, I'd say, let's put on the Ukrainians today. And the good news is, if you ever get back there, if Trump uh, goes back and runs and wins, and I'm sure he's going to call you, you'll have a motivated Europe, a motivated NATO to buy our weapon systems, not the antiquated Soviet systems, purchase them. We provide the advisors, and NATO will realize they have a function and the danger that Russia presents. You no longer have to sell them that we're not living in the past like Barack Obama thought we were. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. right. In- Go get him, General. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. one 866 Remember, I got One Nation coming up this weekend. To a great show from Mike Pompeo to the great Shannon Bream closes up. Uh, we'll have Douglas Murray as well. And you're going to love my open. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Putin's invasion of Ukraine has driven up gas prices and food prices all over the world. There's no dial in the Oval Office that turns inflation up or turns it down, right? So Joe Biden, as he's sitting there at the White House, doesn't have a lot of really great options. 
But the economy is uh, not doing well, 8.5%. We love the jobs numbers, fantastic. The uh, labor participation is still around the 60%. We love the fact that wages are going up, but they're not keeping up with the inflated prices. And to blame people for it and not to acknowledge that the money we got in March, I know you can't come out and say rescue plan, big mistake, but you could say we had to print a lot of money, $6.7 trillion for the pandemic. Whether we put too much in the system, we're going to correct it. But instead, you tell everybody it's because of the Putin price hike. Now, I'm acknowledging that a lot of grain, I did not know that, comes out of Ukraine as well as Russia. I get it. Supply chains disrupted. I understand it. Uh, we know in Europe, for example, and we depend on those markets, they're oil and gas, they're trying to get off it and they're making other plans, as, as we have done. But if you look at the gas pump, I think the prices have come down a quarter or something. They went up slightly after the invasion, but we're 50 days into a two-year graduation of in, of inflation. Now, the other big story is what he's going to do about it, because right now, the average person's suffering. Very few, a lot of people say, you know, no one really serves in the military. I don't know. I've never been to Afghanistan. Iraq's not really my issue. The VA scandal is not it. You could always section off and say, that really doesn't affect me. You know, they're not doing the pipeline. That's really not going to affect me. I don't work on a pipeline. I'm not, I'm not in Texas or Oklahoma. I don't really do – fracking doesn't fuel us like it does Pennsylvania and uh, Ohio. But when you raise prices on everything because of the cost of gas and jet fuel and transportation of, the, of which you're charging – uh, farmers to, to actually bring that the meat to market and the cow to market. That's when everyone walks around and goes, I'm not feeling good about this. And I do. I know I was in grammar school, but when Carter was president, I do remember that sense that we got to make a change. And that's what people are saying that Democrats should be feeling. Listen, I'll talk about this and so much more on One Nation. You'll be seeing it on Fox News, 8 and 11 o'clock. Meet me there. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.